For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So during our days as a youth pastor, <clears throat> we would uh, usually have a winter retreat sometime in January, February when it got really cold and we hoped there would be snow. And, and so we uh, were at a camp and, and, and had a great time and um, we planned to end the retreat. We usually did a, a, a two nights. Uh, we did it on Martin Luther King um, deal so we birthday so we could do it on a Monday and Tuesday because where we went usually couldn't get in for years it was a great camp and so we did that and for the last night we're planning a, a, a great challenging end for our students and want to help them and encourage them about their faith and to stand for the Lord and if there are any that don't know the Lord and so we chose to to show after we had a speaker and done a great job and chose to show a Christian movie now, there's not many of them around anymore, but back in the day, okay? And it was called Thin Ice. In fact, I looked it up online the other day just to make sure I had the right name, and there it was. I could have watched it. Hun, we should do that some night. Yeah, sure, right, all right. Uh, anyway, uh, we're showing the movie, and it's drawing to a climactic conclusion. That's how they did it those days. And the lights were low, the drama was building, the music was right, working right in there, and it's getting there, and building, and getting louder, and coming to this significant point, and boom, the door in the back corner of the auditorium where we were slams open, I mean, wow, the lights immediately come on, because it had been dark, and a Mennonite woman was standing there in a floor-length nightgown with hair down to her knees that's usually, you know, right up here, all down, uh, wow, I don't know how much hair could get up there, but there it was, and she's not happy, and she screams out to us, who's in charge here? And the kids are all like, ah. and, and our youth workers are kind of looking over at me, I'm trying to hide behind the projector, and, and it's not too good, so we're all in shock, not sure what's going on, and, and finally, I realized I was in charge, <laughs> so I, had, I answered in a kind of a weak, crackly, stuttering voice, I am, I thought she was going to take my head off, I was, she proceeded to inform me and everybody else in a very animated and loud voice that there was to be no noise after 11 o'clock. It was after 11 o'clock. We knew that, but we didn't think anybody else was around. Well, there was. And as quickly as she entered the room, said her piece, she shut off the lights, slammed the door shut, and was gone. Sometimes leadership can be scary. <laughs> leadership is a whole lot of things. Hard, challenging, consuming, frustrating, at times heartbreaking, but it's also fun. It's exhilarating. It's satisfying and amazingly rewarding. There is at least one constant that is always true about leadership. Leadership is necessary in every 
area of life. Every area of life. If you do a search on Amazon, you'll find if you will put in looking for books on leadership, you will find over 60,000 results. I did it. Didn't intend to, but that's what popped up. And I'm like, 60,000 books or results with leadership in the title. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And, and leadership is a big deal in our culture, folks, right? And there's all kinds of information, not just books, but conferences and seminars and all the rest of it. But leadership is a big deal, even a bigger deal in the church today. And if the church is going to accomplish its mission and fulfill the purpose for which God designed the church, we must understand what God says about the leadership of the church. Now, we talked a little bit about a few weeks ago, 1 Peter chapter 5 and the first five verses, and looked at that. But we don't need, folks, 60,000 books. We only need one book, right? All we need is the Bible to give us direction for what God says about leadership in the church. So today we begin a series on God's plan for the leadership in the church, and we've entitled it, Who's in Charge Here? If I could find that Mennonite woman, she'd be pleased with me today, I'm sure, uh, using that title. But Who's in charge here? Now, so if we're going to study the leadership of the church, we first need to understand what the church is all about. We need to have a basic understanding of the church. And apart from the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Apart from those four books, uh, the majority of uh, information on the church of the New Testament um, is, is found, uh, the local churches are talked about in, in most of the other books of the New Testament other than the first four Gospels there. And so we're going to take a little bit of a look today. Don't intend to give you an exhaustive study on the church, but just a basic understanding. The word for the, used in the Bible for church is called is ekklesia. And, and I'm not going to give you this major Greek lesson. That's the word. It simply means called out ones or called out assembly. That's what the word means. And it, it also is pictured throughout the New Testament. When you see the word church, there's, Ill, there's, there's uh, analogies, there's metaphors, there's pictures that are used for the church. And uh, uh, the, that word is used about 114 times throughout the New Testament, used to refer either to the universal church or the local church, and we'll get to that in, in just a minute about what they mean, either the universal church or the local church. The universal church um, is those who become followers of Jesus, those who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ from the time the church started on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we'll look at that in just a minute, to the rapture to when Jesus comes again to take us, the church, off this earth to be with him in heaven. That's the, what we call the timing of the universal church and those who believe from Pentecost to the rapture when Jesus comes again and we who know him will see him face to face. Wow, won't that be something? Um, it, won't it? 
wow, whew, uh, nah, maybe, yeah, big deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's like, whoo-hoo, really? Uh, it'd be an amazing thing. That's the universal church. Now, of those 114 uses of the word ecclesia in the New Testament, most of them, however, are referenced 80 to 90% of them, closer to 90% of them, are referring to the local church. Followers of Jesus who live in a specific geographical area and organized, in fact, our Constitution says it like this, and there's a little bit of a description, not necessarily a definition, but organized assembly of immersed believers. We don't say just baptized because there's a number of different ways people baptized, churches baptize one another, but, but we believe baptism by immersion. That's what the word means, immersion. So we say uh, immersed believers who regularly gather together for worship and fellowship and are commissioned to make disciples. Now, that's not anybody's definition. I just put that together and to describe, and, and it's called out ones, a local church who gather together like we are this morning. And uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul describes that. And we could have put up all kinds of verses this morning to make reference to that, but one will do. Romans 1, 6 and 7, and you also uh, are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all in Rome, because he's writing to the Roman church, to all the believers in Rome, to the church in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. That's what we read. That's the church. That's what we're talking about here. And so this morning, I want to give you four characteristics of the local church. Four characteristics of the local church. And and, and, and I don't know of any one passage that describes all of what the church is about. So we will do a little more turning this morning in our Bibles than we normally do. So if you have your Bible with you or your tablet or phone, whatever you want to use, um, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And if you want to hold a Bible and don't have one underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a copy of the Bible, and in that Bible, page 759, page 759. So the local church is committed, first of all, to building community. Characteristic number one, building community, Acts chapter 2. This is, uh, I, I, wow, you read through Acts chapter 2, Jack, you're teaching that this morning, right? All 47 verses? Woo! Wow. Man, so I'm only going to take out a few here this morning, but look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42. Now, what you know happened, or what you need to know happened in the beginning part of the first 41 verses is that it was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down and filled, uh, came into the lives, we would actually say baptized, each of those who were believers, who knew Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelt that day at that moment, those who knew Jesus Christ. That's how the church began. And then Peter preached the message. Whoa, what a message. I would love to have been there to hear that message. 3,000 people got saved that day in response to his preaching. Whoo-wee. Man. And, and, and after all of that happens, and he laid the guilt of the death of Jesus Christ on the Jews. 
he, he, and they're right in Jerusalem, and the majority of people there are Jews. They need Jesus. And Peter preaches, and 3,000 people get saved, verse 42 now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this is the church. This is these 3,000 believers and those others who were saved before that. And as they're gathered together, the first church in Jerusalem there, this is what he's saying. Their devotion to the apostles' teaching, which would be God's truth. Because they didn't have the New Testament that we have. They would have had an Old Testament scriptures, but there weren't gobs and gobs and gobs of copies for everybody sitting there in the, in the church or, or to have. So, so there it is, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, not in the temple, because as believers they wouldn't really have been welcome in the temple courts. And we're told there they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It didn't end with that 3,000. People continued to come to Christ. Why? Because the church was alive. It, there was passion. There was excitement. They were together. They were involved in each other's lives. Uh, if we are going to grab hold of this, we've got to understand that life revolved around the church. That's how people spent their time. The community of believers, the church, was the, focused, was the focus of their lives, and Christ was at the very center of everything they did. Now, I know, I know. Life is different today, right? We tend to look back and say, well, those folks, they didn't have anything to do. I'm not sure that. In fact, I know it's not true, folks. They were just like us, and though they didn't have all kinds of technology that created work and added busyness to our lives, we think it's great to have that because it gives us the ability to get more done. No, it actually creates work, right? Sure it does. Um, and, and so life revolved around the church, but life was different then. That's true. And there are many, and we say, as we look at that, there are too many things going on in our lives today in 2023 for us to be like that as a church. We say, ah, we're too busy for that. Exactly. We are. I don't have a solution for you, folks. But we got to figure that out. Because we are too busy for God. We are too busy for the church. And we've got to figure that out. The church is, and get this, this is critical. If we're going to understand the church, the church is not a place you attend. It's a people with whom you engage. It's not a place to attend. It's a people, us, who know Jesus. And we need to be engaged with one another 
as the church. And if we're going to grasp the point and purpose of the local church, we have to think in terms of people in relationship with one another. Not buildings or meeting places, not services or times of gathering, but as people in community. Now, we talk about that all the time. The church is not this building that we're in. This is just an auditorium. The hallways, the educational wing, the family room, that's not the church. It's just a building. We are the church. We meeting here today, we are the church. And that's why we spend time together. It is critical. It is a people in community, in relationship with one another. We call them throughout Scripture disciples, followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, saints. We're a family. That's the church. People who exist together, who eat together, who meet together. Diverse groups of people who live together in unity, who practice mutual care and concern for one another, who love and serve each other. That's the church as described in the Bible. That's what needs to be true of the church in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I have, we'll have it on the screen if you want to look at that or, or check it out in, in your copy of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what we read, verses 12, 13, and 14. And you could read on to the end of the chapter on your own. Paul really lays out what the church is about as he follows through with one of the metaphors of the body. And he says this, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The baptism referred there is not water baptism. It is the baptism of the Spirit, whereby the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are added to the church, the body of Christ. We are baptized by the Spirit into the body. This has nothing to do, folks. I'm not going to go down this road, but I'm going to say it, and you study it. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues or healing or any of those kinds of miraculous sign gifts. That's not what that baptism means. It's being added to the body of Christ, the church, by the Spirit of God when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ. If we're going to build community, we must determine to be together. I'm going to say that with every one of these characteristics of the church. If we're going to build community, we must determine to be together. As one writer put it, and I have a quote here from Mark Dever's book, What is a Healthy Church?, he says, we demonstrate to the world that we have been changed because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. That's the church. That's who we are. That's being a community. That's being in relationship with one another. And you can't do that when you're not engaged in the local church. 
I didn't say attend. Because you don't attend church. We gather together as the church. We are engaged with one another as the church. And you can't do that if you're not. You can't be part of the community. You won't be. You can't have it be all that God designed it to be if you're not engaged in the life of the church. And folks, that doesn't happen once a week on Sunday morning or once a month on Sunday morning. Second characteristic, the local church is committed to developing accountability. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And this is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing when the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing, gathering together as the church was a problem back then. Right? All the research and statistics today tell us that God's people don't gather together like they used to, like they should be. Why? Because it's the church. So he says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching what day? The day of return of Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the church, the writer of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Some say it's Paul. Some think Luke. Some think somebody else. I don't know. The writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever he was talking to the church, and he said, we as the church need to consider how we may spur one another, how we may, uh, we need to pay attention, consider, give careful attention to, take notice, what is it we need to do to spur one another, stimulate action, motivate thinking about one another, provoke, we usually think of provoke in a negative way, right? It's like your kids are playing together, or if you remember back when you were a kid at home, and your siblings or your friends or whoever, and you would provoke one another. I know we as adults don't do that, right? But you understand the word provoke, and, and the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying to the church, you as believers need to provoke, need to motivate each other to to be engaged in the church, you need to cause them to think about not giving up meeting together because there are some who are. Don't abandon or forsake gathering together. Now, we typically over the years have used this verse to think about only Sunday morning. It's not just Sunday morning. It doesn't say anything about Sunday morning. It's talking about the church, the body of Christ, gathering together, being engaged with one another, much as they were in Acts chapter 2. The church together all the time. Remember, the church isn't about a time or a place. It is about a people who are engaged with one another, a people who know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the church. Consistent involvement in the life of the church, meaningfully engaged, together with. That's what we're talking about. And we're talking about accountability. 
individual and intentional accountability. You see, it's there for those who have been neglecting the getting together as the body, who are not engaged. We need to figure out how to provoke them. I don't think it should be, hey, jerk, you weren't in the, in the auditorium last week. That's not what we mean. That's very provoking, right? But that's not the way we should do it because we'll see a little bit. Paul says, speak the truth in love. But this is what we're to be doing. That's, an, that's accountability. We need to hold one another intentionally accountable, both individually and corporately. Why? Because that's relationship. When you care about somebody. Moms and dads, when, if you care about your kids, you don't just let them do what they want. You help, you, you teach them. And when they don't follow, you discipline them, just like we were when we were, and, and just like God does to the church. Read Hebrews 12. We need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be willing to be held accountable. And so when somebody says, hey, you know, I'm concerned. I, you're, not, you're not engaged with the body of believers here at Heritage. You're not serving. You're not involved. You're, you're regularly missing the gathering together of God's people. What's going on? What's the problem? And, and when we understand that's part of the church, we need to be willing to say, not, hey, it's none of your business, leave me alone. We need to respond with, yeah, I know, I, I can't talk about it right now, or we talk about it. That's what the church, that's the business of accountability. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 when he says that someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, he's not talking about a special small group of people within the church. That ought to characterize most of us most of the time. There are times when we're not walking with the Lord and being spiritual. You want to know what that is? Look at Galatians chapter 5 and 6. And, and Paul defines what he means, you who are spiritual. But it ought to be those of us who know Jesus Christ most of the time, I won't say all the time, because we blow it at times. It should be all the time, but most of the time, most of the people, we need to be. And if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him or her. Sometimes we think that means we talk about them rather than pray for them and talk to them. If we're going to develop accountability, we must determine to be together. That's about the one and others. All throughout the New Testament, you've heard that talked about regularly. We often talk about the one and others. Here it is right here. Spur one another. Encourage one another. Meet together with one another. And when somebody's not doing that who is part of the church, the body of Christ, we need to have a conversation with that person, not everybody else. Right? The local church is thirdly committed to equipping for ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. I'm not going to look at all of those verses 
But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people. That's the church. Paul's talking here to the church at Ephesus. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And you can go on and read uh, verses 14 to 16 there. But Paul is saying this is what the leaders of the church are to do. And we're not going to go down that leadership path today. But he's saying God gave gifted men, leaders to the church, to equip God's people, the saints, to equip the body, to equip those who know Jesus, to equip the church, what? To do the work of the ministry, to equip them for works of service. It doesn't say that those men, the pastors and teachers and evangelists and so forth, are to do the work of the ministry. They are to equip people to do the work of the ministry. Well, wait a minute. What do we pay you for? Aren't you here to do the work of the ministry? Well, unless I'm reading it wrong, it says that I'm supposed to equip God's people to do works of service. Now, that is the work of the ministry for me, for Scott, hopefully in a little while, Mitch, his ordination Tuesday morning. It's where you get to ask him questions, right? Be praying for Mitch. But as we talk about that, what we read here is that when God's people are equipped for ministry, and that's our job as pastors, that God's people are then to do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. To build up. I think that happens numerically, quantitatively. I think it also happens qualitatively, spiritual maturity. That's what will happen when God's people do the work of the ministry together. As the church, the church will be built up. Individual believers who make up the many parts but one body, the many parts will be doing the work and, and it will grow. There will be a growth in maturity, spiritual quality of, of, of a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there will also be physical numbers, people added to the body. Listen, ministry is not an option. Because here and in other passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, we find out, we talk about spiritual gifts, that God has given everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior a, an ability, a special God-given ability to serve. And if you're not serving, you are not obeying. I, I, I've said that for 12 years. I actually had somebody meet me in my office once to say, I disagree with you. I'm like, what do you mean you disagree? You can disagree with me, but let's look what, the, what does the Bible say? Well, you said if 
people aren't serving God who know Jesus, they're sinning. I said, yeah. And? Well, I don't agree with that. Well, okay, but what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that you have a gift, a God-given ability to serve him? Well, yeah. Well, that's stewardship. You've been giving. It's not just about money. It's about your time. It's about using the abilities that God's given you. If you're not using them, we will be held accountable. That's what Paul's talking about. Ministry is not an option. That's why we have Heritage Institute on Sunday mornings. That's why we have community groups. It's not the only reason. That's why we have D groups, discipleship groups. That's why we do other things together to help disciple God's people, to help equip God's people. There was a meeting this morning. I think it was at 7.30 or 8 o'clock of our uh, greeters, our first impressions people. What were they? Scott was spending time training them to do the work of the ministry. If we're going to be equipped for ministry, we must, we must determine to be together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Fourth, the local church is committed to making disciples. And I know you know you've heard this before. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Let me read that for you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Therefore, go and make disciples. Well, let me go back up. I'm sorry, to verse 18. Then Jesus came to them. This was the disciples and other followers of him. After he resurrected from the dead, somewhere on a mountain in Galilee, he had told them that they were to meet him there. They did. That's what verse 16 says, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I've, I've received authority from the Father. So, here's what I'm telling you. Go, therefore, because of that authority, because I'm the one commissioning you, therefore, go and make disciples. That's the command. Make disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow, amen, huh? He's with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So here it is. How do we make disciples? And I know we've talked about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot. We, we do it by going. Where? We go out to talk to people, to help people who know Jesus and to help people who don't know Jesus. We go. Secondly, when they come to Christ, we baptize them. Name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we teach them to obey. That's discipleship. That's how we make disciples. And that's what the church is all about. 
we need to understand making disciples, and we say it this way often, make disciples who make disciples. Now, we shouldn't have to do that. Saying make disciples is good enough, but because we're not making disciples who make disciples, in other words, who reproduce themselves in the lives of others, because we're not doing a very good job at that, we have had to come up with this, and I don't mean we, we here at Heritage, Mitch Scott and I or others, but, but the God's church, people are now saying, well, they're teaching, well, we got to really focus on making disciples who make disciples. Well, that's what a disciple is. If you believe you're a disciple and you're not making you're not involved in a discipleship relationship in, in one way or the other, you're either being discipled or you're discipling. You're not a disciple. Because when Jesus says make disciples, that's what he expects of those who are disciples. So when you become a follower of Jesus, a learner and a follower of Jesus, that's what the word disciple means. We are to go make other disciples. And if we're not doing that, something's missing. Something's wrong. If you believe you're a disciple but are not making disciples, you're not a disciple. You're not following Jesus. Or you'd be gripped in your heart with what Jesus says. If we're going to make disciples, we must determine to be together. So what do we need to do? What now? What do we need to do in light of the, these truths? I have, I have one, one statement. Sometimes I give you two or three, four, but what do we need to do? I'm going to give you one because it's pretty straightforward. And, and we said this earlier. The church is not a place you attend. It is a people with whom you engage. It's about relationship. It's about community. It's about being together. So here's, here's what we need to do. You need to answer this question. Are you engaged in your local church. We just talked about these four characteristics of a church. Making disciples, being equipped for ministry so that you can serve and do ministry, being held accountable, being accountable, holding people accountable. And then as we talked first and foremost, we talked about community being part of the community. If you're not engaged, those things won't happen. So how, how are you engaged in this local church that we call Heritage Baptist Church? It is critical. Are there activities, events, other commitments in which you are engaged that take more of your time than your local church? church and if there are and you know if you don't ask somebody are you engaged in other things that take more time than your engagement in the local church and if so that's a serious problem folks because that's not what the Bible teaches are you a member we got 25 people in our membership class right now 
you're not a member, you need to be. Because that's a step of engagement. Are you engaged? How are you engaged in your church? Father, thank you for your word. God, I'm so happy that I don't have to make all this stuff up. That I don't have to design a strategy or that Pastor Scott or Mitch or any of our other leaders have to design a plan to to know what a church ought to be because you've given us direction right here in the Bible. God, help us to obey you. Help us to learn to obey. Help us to be about making disciples. I pray that above all, God, that you would help us as those who know you, as those who are part of this church, to be engaged, actively involved and engaged. Father, if there are any here today who do not know Jesus Christ, who aren't part of the church, I pray that you would open their hearts, cause them to understand that you love them so much you sent Jesus to die for them, that if they would believe Because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, was buried, and he rose again from the dead, proving he was the Son of God, the only one who could forgive our sin. God, help them to believe that and to know Christ as Savior. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.